1: Welcome to New Books in Sociology. My name is Michael O. Johnston, and I am a host of New Books in Sociology, a channel on the New Books Network. And this interview is being done in partnership with the Community and Urban Sociology Section of the American Sociological Association and its academic journal City and Community. Joining to me is today is Dr. David A. Banks, lecturer and director of Globalization Studies at University at Albany. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks. Uh, happy to be here. Excellent. So today we are going to be discussing um, The Authentic City, which is published by the University of California uh, Press just this year. Could you tell me how you came about writing this book? Yeah, so um, this book is
0: um, uh, a while in the making. I think the first essay that I wrote um, on on, the, on similar topics was in like 2016. And uh, and there a lot of it came from personal experience, which I, I, I think a lot of academics um, can relate to, which is that, you know, I, I, I moved, um, to upstate New York for graduate school. And, um, at, at first, like, you know, my wife and I were able to get an apartment on a third floor walk up for 600 bucks a month. Um, it was above, a um, a little restaurant called Uncle Ricky's Bagel Heaven. And, um, uh, but then, you know, uh, that was like 2010. And then like, by like twenty thirteen or fourteen, stuff had started like opening up, you know, like really rapid fire. There were articles of, like comparing um, my city of Troy, New York, to Brooklyn, um, and then it, and then like it just kept coming and coming and coming, and it was just like it was so weird that eventually, you know, I was I was at this restaurant um, that was themed like a um, hardware store. Like the, like the draft pulls were like an old wrench and stuff like that, you know? And, and I was like kind of looking around this. I'm like, why the hell does anyone like this? Like what, what, what is good about this? <laughs> this is so like, I know I like it. Like, but why? This is so weird to be in a hardware themed bar, <laughs> you know? And, um, and it just kind of went from there. It was like, what, what, what's going on here? What the hell, what the hell is happening? And, um, and, and and you know a couple of years later you know the city authentic the book I wrote is um, mainly trying to yeah figure out you know what what is this new third what I what I consider to be like this third big movement in uh, uh, city development and um, uh, how it works why it works and and uh, and, and whether it's good which I, I, I I'm pretty ambivalent about.
1: Yeah, so you talk about the uh, wrench, or, well, hardware themed bar with the with the wrench shaped uh, artifact in it, and, uh, and and part of me sees uh, you talking like unique or, or different. Um, however you, you, you name this book, you title it, uh, with the word authenticity authenticity in it. What what do you mean by authentic?
0: Yeah, so uh, authenticity is a really tricky idea. I think anyone that's tried to write about it has, you know, it's kind of like trying to hold on to a fish. You know, it's it's pretty hard. So there's um there's a lot of different flavors and and sort of shades to authenticity. Um, I spend a whole chapter. Um, trying to define authenticity in the book, uh, and uh, and I, 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 I there's there isn't a sentence where I, I in the book where I say like I define authenticity as I just use it's just they because they all work kind of simultaneously in different ways and are good for different things. So there's like just like a menu of definitions for authenticity that I use, but for the most part, the authentic in city authentic is primarily referencing. Um, experiences within places that seem to exist without the subject in mind like the person uh, that's experiencing it like you know because nothing because feel authentic means that like nothing feels contrived right that nothing is there to impress you or is designed specifically for your market demographic or something like that right It, it it just exists it just is um, so that's why, like you know, dive bars have been around for a long time. Uh, you know, grandma's apple pie and old an old brownstone walk up or something like that. You know, like th- th- those are those things I'll read as authentic um, because they 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 predate your existence for most people. And if they predate your existence, then they weren't designed to impress you. They just existed, and then you discovered them, or or they they were brought to you, or something like that. And that's that's deeply gratifying um to a lot of people especially at a time where you know everything is sort of like algorithmically sorted and delivered to you here's something that you just found right and like that that feel that both kind of like flatters you as like someone who doesn't need culture fed to you you know you can go out and find it, it feels very agency it feels you know, it feels like you have agency there by doing that but it's also um you know, it, it it just doesn't feel like one of several genres, even though it very quickly is be, authenticity is I, I I think kind of like a brand or or, or genre definitely works that way. You know, um, here I'm, I'm also indebted to um, uh, Sharon Zukin's uh, work on this, her book Naked City. You know, I, I quote it a ton in, in in the book. You know, and there and there she um she describes like this experience of origins as generally her definition of authenticity. And I think that's, that goes a long way to how I'm talking about it. But what that leaves out um, that I'm still really interested in is how we use these experiences of origins, let's say uh, to inform our own identity, like the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. And I think that that's a, that's like a huge part of the pull of, um, of these, these places that are branded as authentic. And it's also what cities are, are relying on. They leverage that desire to get people to move here or to convince big employers that their employees will like it here. Or, you know, like a lot of it has to do with, you know, um, convincing people that, um, especially in small and medium sized cities, which is what I study that, you know, like the, the, that these cities that maybe no one's heard of, or you have a cousin that used to live there or something, right? Like these are like the, like the thrift store finds, like these like little quirky out of the way places that um, compared to like the name brands of major cities. And so that that's kind of like how authenticity operates in, in the city authentic.
1: So, and you talk about some previous movements, like the City Beautiful movement and the City Efficient movement. How do these compare to your your vision of, you know, the authentic city?
0: Yeah, yeah. So like th- these two are um, uh, previous movements that have a lot of overlap uh, across each other, but they, they kind of vaguely go in order City Beautiful, City Efficient, City Authentic. And, um, I'll, I'll just go through them. So like the city beautiful, this was one where, you know, I, I think if you took like a, a history course or American cities kind of survey courses, is usually, usually come across this term. It's, you know, the, the idea that, uh, um, you know, very wealthy, powerful people, uh, would build these grand, usually public facing, uh, buildings, uh, to, for for a lot of reasons, you know, to placate the masses, to kind of you know like make them stop building guillotines, to you know, he's like, look, I gave you a library, please don't kill me, right? You know, so there's like stuff like that, but but it was also a signal to other rich people that this place was good for investment, and it was also a place to store money. Um, and value because the um, the american west had 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 kind of the frontier had closed and so now the cities had to start absorbing all of that capital that used to be put into um, you know colonizing uh, the north american west, uh, western part of the continent so um uh, th- that's the city beautiful movement it's all about really big ornate beautiful buildings that are also in the american context trying to show that um these cities are as good or better than europe right the old world uh so there's that too and then the uh, the city efficient comes through as um uh t- towards the um there's there are hints of it before World War two, but it really kind of becomes ascendant after, and this is where code is is deeply important, both like computer code and like uh land use codes, right? So this is where we we rationalize the city and we make it um uh, uh a sort of a, a technical practice to manage it right um the the uh, Harland Bartholomew is considered to be kind of like the first professional city planner. Right. It's just like going around the country, kind of being like a Johnny Appleseed, sort of setting up these more rationalized urban planning departments. And, and you have, uh, you know, um, architects that are trying to forefront efficiency and utility more than the aesthetics of like very ornate buildings. So like that, that's that's sort of the city efficient movement. Um, and, and, in, and in both of those and now in, this, in the city authentic, all three of them always utilize like the way that everyone got rich, right. Gets put into the city, right. So if it, it was steel and oil and steam, right. That, that those things not only finance the city beautiful, they also build it in the same way that, you know, computer chips in the aerospace industry are being are now kind of being brought into computers that help design and manage, um, the city efficient. It's also, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the automobile, um, it, it becomes uh, like you know the the center of cities in a lot of ways, and and now um, smartphones and social media are uh, uh, you know the big tech companies are. Uh, quite literally, I think, as we're talking, like uh, keeping up the the, uh, the the major stock markets right now. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it's through social media that the, that this description of authenticity and the enrollment of authentic places into your kind of like authentic identity happens. Right. Is, is all is all happening on, on social media
1: and uh one ma- major figure uh that you mentioned in this book is child edward uh Jean and the saying a house is a machine to live in is this kind of this idea of a rational city being designed to uh be efficient as you discuss with the city efficient movement
0: yeah yeah so um history knows him better as le Corbusier. he's um a french swiss architect uh it comes from a like a a, a family of them and um he, uh, his, his saying, you know, that a house is a machine to live in is sort of this bombastic, you know, I I don't, it's hard to tell if he actually believes it. he probably does or did, but, um, you know, it's this very, um, uh, 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 serious argument that, um, uh, that buildings should be very utilitarian, right. That, that, uh, um, uh, you know and so he, yeah he is fa- foundational in the city efficient movement um uh he saw the built environment yeah again as this really utilitarian thing meant to sustain human life right a- a- and happiness he, he cares uh deeply about like the um uh getting access to like light and and fresh air for all kinds of people this is a lot of this is a is a stark reaction to the victorian city that you know had people like crammed into small tight spaces and it's very smoky and dense and this is all about opening things up lots of light bringing green spaces into the city stuff like that but it also is about like I said, this like coding of places into use into very specific uses, right? So there is a place for leisure, and then you move from the place of leisure to the place of work, and then from the place of work to your home, right? And and each place is supposed to be purpose built for a specific kind of general activity. Um, uh, in fact, he really only has four. It's those three and transportation, and it's like the city should just be divided into those. For different kinds of activities, and and uh, and and what that does is, yeah, you know, yeah, you are if creating efficiencies maybe for those specific activities. But a lot of the things that we like about cities are like the messy stuff where those things interact, right? Like a, a road built just for transportation is a is a highway, right? And no, not a ton of people have happy memories of highways right you know like maybe you know maybe you went on a nice road trip but you know other than that you know it's like you know like these aren't loved places whereas like you know um you know the jane jacobs view of you know like a a small greenwich village streetscape that those, those those are but those go way way against this um uh machine to live in kind of kind of mentality and so while we we do kind of like we are still very much living in the shadow of cabusier's sort of perspective on, uh, on how to build things. You know, we do live in there are a lot of places that are just like for miles and miles, like domicile, right? You know, uh, suburban tract housing, and then everyone drives and transports to where they work, and leisure is in a plaza somewhere, right? You know, like that. That's all very much in the Cabousier sort of model. Although he'd probably be disgusted by the by a McMansion or like how we plaster on different kinds of uh, styles onto the same kind of box that, that he hated. He just wants, you know, because that because because ultimately that came from, I think a good place in that he wanted all of the money and resources and labor that go into building things to go strictly to uh, um, functionality. Right. And so if you're, if you're spending it on like, a fake brick facade that's money that you didn't spend on something more important in in his, his ideas.
1: More natural movement and more natural design than uh, for natural efficiency rather than, uh, yeah, yeah, as you said, fabricated.
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs)
1: But in, in some ways, I, I see the city authentic as being a, an extension of that, Uh, you know, moving people based on the experience that one desires uh, will determine where they where they go, I think, in some ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, so like, there's, there's a lot of um contradictions in, in everything that I, I just put out there, right? Like, for example, you know, now, I see this with my, my, my students now is like, there's a, a this growing nostalgia for like the 90s shopping mall. Right. And the shop and the shopping mall is one of like the most like throwaway architecture, like very modern um, uh, 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 utilitarian kind of box. Right. Like the outside of a mall looks hideous. The interior is meant to kind of be shaved off and replaced every couple of years just to, um, you know, keep up with some level of aesthetics right and it's um but there's nostalgia for that too and so like there you can never really get away from this desire for a certain for any kind of aesthetics and even even the will to remove aesthetics creates an aesthetic that people can uh uh love and then be nostalgic for right so
1: yeah you can never get away from that sort of thing And even if you never experienced it before, somehow or another, the design puts a person into the game where they figure out the rules pretty quickly. Uh, My wife and I were just out in... uh florida with uh with our kids for vacation and we were supposed to well meet our uh the rest of the family at a mall however in florida there are malls about you know every mile and we ended up at the wrong mall however it looked just the same as all the other malls in in florida
0: (laughs) yeah i so it's it's funny i you know my book is about upstate new york and like the albany region but florida invariably comes up every single time I, I have a conversation about this book partially because I, I used to grow up in i grew up in florida i used to live there and um and i do uh, give a like sort of a juxtaposition of like florida and upstate new york as like these two very very different landscapes and uh and i don't think this book would have happened had i not had that juxtaposition because like it just it just feels it feels so so different yeah
1: and then that, the comparison that you also make between Albany and New York, New York, I, I, and Manhattan maybe is what you mentioned, but uh, uh, it was a, a very interesting comparison, Albany being known for more of a, an educational center where people can come and, and find highly educated people and, uh, you know, Manhattan and the other New York area having sort of a different personality, but also having a larger population. So those, those comparisons were very helpful when reading.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, um, uh, because each city now has to um, be more uh, aware of their brand, right? Think of themselves as a brand. Um, they they uh, lean into those differences, right? So they, they make a very strong point of saying like, no, we are not uh, New York City, right? And so here are the things that you get for not being new york city right you know uh you're a 10 minute car ride to the country right you know st- stuff like that you know like they'll and, and it's and so then they have to be like okay well like now you're you know the 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 albany region uh is um something where you have something for everyone whereas new york city is just for people that like cities right and they, they and they'll they'll lean heavy into that and that's that's a uh, one of several tactics that, that cities are using yeah,
1: Yeah, cultivating a reputation and, and uh, creating an identity that is believable in terms of the experience that people are having there, right?
0: hmm Yeah.
1: And, and then another significant character that stood out to me in your, in your writing was Ning Wang, who advanced this complexity of authenticity uh, from being one single thing to three different types there was objective authenticity, constructive authenticity and existential or postmodern authenticity. Can can you talk a bit about more about each of those types and maybe the significance of that typology? Absolutely. So this 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 comes out of
0: tourism studies um and it was really useful to me. And I'll first, I'll go, yeah, I'll go through all those and explain why that's useful, right? So um, objective authenticity is sort of like, you know, like what art historians do to a painting, right? They, they are authenticating it, right? They, uh, you find the, the chain of custody, you uh, bring an expert in to you know, you have like these brushstrokes are consistent with the, uh, alleged, uh, um, creator of the, of the work, something like that. Right. So objective authenticity is, is figuring out is, is this what it purports to be right. Um, uh, constructive authenticity is basically meeting expectations, right. So uh, that, that have been set by, by someone. So if, um, uh, what I do with my students when I when I teach this is I, I show them an old postcard with uh, um some ladies in in uh grass skirts. You know, and I'm like, where is this? And they all say Hawaii, right? And I'm like, well how, how do you know that? And they they you know they're like, well let's just look at it, right? And they're like, oh okay, well, you know, like this is a constructed idea of hawaii invented by like you know the the um the hilton corporation you know they like get people to to um uh take a vacation in hawaii and you know like here's a quote from a native hawaiian that is like you know describing how this is just like a hodgepodge of several different polynesian cultures and it it's actually very offensive in lots of different ways you know they you know um and uh, uh um and so like that that you know, that, that's a constructive authenticity, which is not, um, you know, and all of these are pretty ambivalent in terms of whether they're good or bad, right? You know, like you can have a constructive authenticity that's very liberatory or 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 um, or, or brings attention or visibility to a marginalized group, you know, right? It's not always bad. Um, but existential and postmodern authenticity, right? These are, they're basically this, uh, the this, um, Wang uses them kind of interchangeably, but basically... Um, what what these are is a um, the ability to um, f- uh, feel as though you are uh, like achieving uh, a um, self actualization in like the subject object experience, right? So if uh, to you know like make that you know in kind of like normal person language, you know it's like the the uh, the, the idea is um, you know if I always sort of viewed myself as an adventurer or something, right. You know, but you know, life gets in the way and you end up just, you know, being something else and you're, you you do not feel like, a, you know, like you're Indiana Jones or, you know, that you wanted to be right. Maybe you go on vacation uh, and you go scuba diving, right. And that uh, scuba diving ex- expedition feels like an adventure. And then you're like, ah, this is the real me, right. I am experiencing the real me. And therefore um, that, this, this whole experience and this place reads as authentic, not necessarily because it it, it's constructively or objectively authentic, but because of what I felt has an existential sort of experience that reads as authenticity to me. And so that, that's, that's what that, that, that third one is. And, um, right. And these are all really useful, um, when thinking about how cities, uh, brand themselves right or, or 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 at least like try to get more attention because they're working in all of these different ways simultaneously right so uh often they'll plumb their history for something interesting um maybe uh you know what they used to uh manufacture especially in the rust belt right they'll they'll go and find like their old nickname so like uh, uh um where i live in troy it's the collar city because we invented and then uh um uh, manufactured the detachable shirt collar um uh, so that was big here uh, across the the hudson is spindle city because there's a bunch of textiles in caho's um uh you know uh, uh, there's you know the electric city there's you know all all these different blank cities right so and you know and so and so often you know, you'll get a a tattoo shop, a, a bar, a restaurant that will incorporate that name in there, right? And so, so in that way, right, you have like this objective of like searching of history and finding, you know, like this place you definitely used to be called this, so, you know, objectively. Uh, then, you know, you create a more modern brand around it. And so you construct uh, like something where today the expectation of experiencing, uh, the, the collar city is, you know, having a great date night instead of sweating in a, in a industrial, um, laundry, building a shirt collar, right. You know, a very different experience. Um, and and then, you know, and then you can have this existential sort of authenticity where like maybe, you know, you, you live in a, uh, redesigned, um, uh, uh, brownstone and you walk to work and the farmer's market on Saturday, right? And this is, and ah, you live now this very authentic urban experience, right? And so there's all three kind of happening in, in the same example, sort of at the same time.
1: And, and you might even be able to put on a blue collar uniform and get a picture taken to take home and put above the mantle, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. And, and then to add to this complexity, June Deary um, suggested that uh, there, there are three, uh, three components to any reality, and that is that it's contrived in its settings and preplanned, and or revitalized, um, or existential, and that it is edited. Well, what is this extra layer that has been added to, um, to the concept of reality?
0: Yeah. So, so here, June Deary is specifically talking about reality television, right? So, this is her, um her work on, on on reality tv it's pretty it's pretty foundational to the to the field and she just, she's just basically kind of historicizing or or, or breaking up the, the reality television into into three um eras basically and we get all three still but but it sort of developed in that in that way right and so um the uh, edited um sort of reality are um sort of like slice of life um, documentary, documentary style stuff. Um, this was more popular in the UK, um, where, which is actually what, um, the office is, um, parodying. It would be like these, um, uh, little like serial, uh, um, reality tv shows or just be like uh this is uh john he's getting a his driver's license for the first time and you know john like fails his driver's test or something like that and you're just like watching him fail right and, and so like there's that um it you you could also say like um cops is to some degree like a a a, rea- a reality edited um That's where reality TV and then um, the the contrived settings are planned survivor, you know, right. You know, anything where there is a um, like kind of like a game show element to it. You know, we're putting people in this contrived situation. Now you just like watch them uh, win instead of make friends, et cetera. Right. And then um, and then the revitalized existential is one where. Um, the reality tv the thing that you're watching is also supposed to kind of change reality itself or like you are just like watching someone's life change right and um so like uh shark tank is the perfect example of that right where like here are people making deals on television right and we're just like creating a spectacle around it that you get to watch uh and and in, and in that one um you know there's there's both the uh the the show that you're watching but then also the product that will then go live on and like you will see as a commercial in after the show or something like that right you know, like that that this is all kind of like happening simultaneously right and uh and I, I just find it really interesting that one this maps onto these concepts of authenticity really really well um and this uh, and at, at at the very least, this is sort of like this isometric formation, right? Where like these two different aspects of, of life, tourism and reality television are, 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 sh- are being shaped and, and, and change in the same way at about the same time that, you know, like authenticity, um, in tourism, it follows about the same times time frame as reality TV is too. So, um, and so there, I just like point to the fact that well, if if these two very different um, uh, parts of society are changing, then there must be kind of like this third sort of big push across all of them and many other things, which includes. Uh, um, economic development and and uh city planning right it, it gets included in this wave of like changing things from the just like editing and observing uh, uh, uh reality to existentially sort of connecting your experience of reality to a brand or a product like all of this is happening at once across many
1: many sectors of life and across many cities, across uh, you know multiple countries, and uh, somebody you mentioned is uh, Harvey Molosh and uh, uh, his concept of the city as a growth machine, uh, which I think is a is a, is a great uh, call it theory to bring to the bring to the table because uh, the the city is greater than any one part, even though a major part of the theory is the city elite, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I keep saying. I think this whole time I've been saying like cities as if like they're, you know, like these single entities. Right. But no, they're like these complicated internally. They're like dynamic and confrontational, um, organizations. Right. And, um, and yeah, urban fortunes, a book that came out in 1987. I still teach from it. It is like, everything is everything that they say. It's still, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's still relevant um and unfortunately nothing has changed (laughs) in much of what they what they describe um you know all you need to do is like bring in new graphs to show how this is like still happening right and you know basically what, what what they argue right is that um elites don't agree on everything but one thing that they definitely agree on is that growth is good right growth of in all dimensions right so population local economy the the actual physical built structure right everything has to grow because that's how they make money regardless of how they make money whether you own a car dealership a newspaper or a condo right you know if the if the city grows you're going to make more money right and so um I argue that uh, now we're kind of faced with this upgraded growth machine, um, and it's upgraded in 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 two ways, right? In 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 one sense, um, uh, the, the, there's a um, an upgrade in like uh, the the boundaries of what can be um, structurally adjusted to make money. So now, uh, lots lots of people that I interview. Um, for the book uh, basically say that um, smaller cities need to either confederate consolidate or in some way uh, brand themselves within a larger region because if they don't do that then they're going to um, uh, not be able to compete at like the next tier up to get like more more money and to grow so like the growth it's not enough to just like be a city like toledo ohio and grow toledo ohio you have to take the whole surrounding area of toledo and package that and and sell that right and that's what we were we were talking about earlier about you know comparing new york city to albany right they they don't just say well choose between albany or new york city they say albany is actually you know the city of a little less than 100,000 people is actually the center of a region of a million people and in and, and this million person region of eight different counties is in fact what you should be considering uh moving to like in your mind right you you think new york city or the capital region and that and that opens up the idea that oh wow well you i could go skiing in in winter and then like go on this like you know uh uh go go to the pool in this municipal pool in the summer and like all of these things are kind of packaged uh um together so that's 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 one way that that there's this this upgrade right is that is that we're, we're they're reconsidering the city itself as something to, as something to grow not not just within the city uh and then the second thing is like this actually kind of like literal upgrade to the technology of the growth machine um where um uh elites are just able to control more and more f- in a more fine-tuned fashion um uh everything that that about the city right so um new there's you know like zillow and all these other um platforms that are less public facing this is like uh, what like platform real estate is generally what it's called um you know all these different tools allow you to buy sell view rent right all uh, um uh uh uh, land and buildings in all these different ways that now enable um, uh, a private equity mostly to uh, zoom in and like very in a very fine-tuned fashion manipulate markets um, uh, uh, and, and speculate in ways that uh, help them a lot and put this will toward even higher forms of growth, right? That um, that are are generally unsustainable. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I I remember you mentioned Richard Florida, right? And uh, the, you know, the creative approach. I I remember, you know, at the beginning of the book, you were talking about a conversation on your way to a, uh, to a game. Was it a, a a baseball game maybe that you're having with a colleague and and how you initially were like no that's not really what the city is about but but then you said that that's exactly why you fell in love with albany right yeah yeah yeah
0: i was i was talking to a, a colleague in my department that is all there's also spent a, a a long time in sort of the economic development sphere of of the of the, the, of the capital region of, of albany actually it's albany and saratoga and a bunch of other places right and um Yeah. And he was reminiscing about like how he, he would, when he lived closer to the city, he would go to a Mets game. And and now he still goes to Mets games. It's just a longer drive. Um, But, um, but yeah, yeah, he was, he was saying that, you know, like basically in order to sell a region, you should follow the, the Richard Florida approach. And I know that, and Richard Florida also knows because he, he published a book in 2017 saying that like this creative class approach creates this winner take all urbanism that, um, that creates inequalities between cities and within cities. Right. And, and so like there, the, the, the idea that the creative class would just be like this money generator that would then, um, you know, have trickle down basically. Right. Um, to service sector employees and and everything else like that, this isn't really working. Um, And, uh, and I was, and I was about to kind of, you know, Take him to task on that, but but then but then he just kind of asks him, "Well, why did you stay here?" And I have to acknowledge that it was this creative class process. You know, I, was, I did like my cute little downtown and my little tapa bar, and you know, all the all the cute little stuff. Like I like that stuff, um, and, and, uh, and, and and so like it does work, right? But it is also a deeply unequal place here, and and there and the stuff that does make it um, stable. Are not those things. The things that make this region appear stable is the fact that there there's a ton of union jobs and there's a ton of public sector employment, and th- those are the things that really stabilize this region and allow everything else to happen. Um, so it's uh, it, it's it, it's a very complicated kind of, kind of story uh, uh, or, or tension between the, the those two things.
1: Yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to maybe you do already, but uh, Richard Florida and Harvey Molosh paired together. I mean, it's sort of they gel well together. They they, they do.
0: Yeah, it's um, uh, yeah. I I, I think uh, Urban Fortunes explains a lot of why the the creative class thesis worked, right? Because it it, um, it gave permission to cities to stop doing this sort of smokestack chasing, which was like the last paradigm of, of economic development. And instead be what I, what I call in the book, like the fun weekend dad mayor, right. Where you just get to like put out all the fun stuff. And, and the idea is that, you know, all the people with disposable income come to your city to do the fun stuff. And then that creates a a tax base that you can then do the necessary stuff with. And it doesn't require a lot of hard choices. Um, But, uh, it, w- but it, I, we've, we've been doing this since the late eighties, you know, this is, that's been the way that most cities have tried to do economic development and it doesn't, doesn't work real great. Uh, what, what does work is manufacturing and, uh, and then keeping that, um, or at least manufacturing and other labor intensive jobs, I should say. And, uh, and then, um, uh, uh making sure that the, that, that, labor intensive work um, has uh, that the value that it creates is spread maximally among the most amount of people like, and that, and, and however you do that is, is great in the United States, the history has been, you know, you just look at the feds own graphs on this and it's been labor unions that, uh, that do that, 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 that maximize um, uh, 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 value per person.
1: Yeah. You know, even some of the biggest cities, you look at the outskirts that aren't, that aren't profiled. And oftentimes these, uh, festival cities or, or call it resort cities don't, don't profile the, the poor, poor areas of the community and oftentimes build highways around them so that they can be undiscovered.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah. Internationally, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a, a, something that happens internationally. Right. So like, um, Uh, in 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 rio you know like the brazil got like the the world cup uh and then the olympics like like rapid fire for like a decade uh and um uh and in there you know like yeah they would you know they would build all this stuff all this infrastructure for international tourism and then like very selectively like build walls along the highway. So you wouldn't see the slums and then there'd be like a break in the wall and you'd see like a new school or something. They're just like, and, you, and then, it, and then the wall would show up again. And the idea, I guess, was that, you know, like you would just assume that everything behind the wall was as nice as that school that you saw or something like that, you know? And, and, um, and, of, and of course, all of these, hi- all these new highways that are surrounded by walls connect to, luxury hotels and and sports facilities right they don't they don't connect uh to um uh stuff that people who live there all the time need right and and it's very similar maybe less um slightly less stark um approach uh all, in, in every city right is that you get this um influx of money uh if you if you get it at all that's you know for a new uh, condo or, uh, part or apartment complex or, or, or some sort of fun thing, a rock climbing gym or whatever. And, you know, and you, and you look at, you look at the newspaper and it's like, oh, this got like $600,000 of state money or, or they're not going to pay property taxes for 30 years. You know, st- you see, you see stuff like that. It's like, oh, okay, well they can get that. But like, why, why, then why am I paying? Why did my property taxes keep going up? You know, why does my rent keep going up and the building keeps getting crappier. You know, like these are all um uh uh, uh uh feel you know like these really um uh um angry feelings that can bubble up that can create a uh, very populist sentiment that uh rightly or wrongly can be very uh suspicious of um the whole project of globalization or of um cosmopolitanism in general. Any, you know anything of that sort, right? You know, like all these things can be clumped together in people's minds because they these they see them happening at the same time, right? They see outside influence uh, connected to both money and new people, and they don't like either of them because their situation doesn't get any better. And then some people do, you know, like and of course a lot of the small business owners do see their stuff getting better and they're happy about it. But like the you know, and so they're they're gonna that you know like there's there's not going to be any political coalition there to um uh, make sure that the wealth gets spread around and usually what what that that means is that there's um that you know people leave that there's displacement which is why i i look in my you know in my in my book i, I see that you know um uh rents skyrocket right you know like the the rents go up like crazy um but population wise um it's almost uh a uh, uh, net zero it's uh, we, we we add the capital region of new york added less population than uh, on average than uh the state as a whole right uh but they built a ton more buildings you know like they built more housing and they built it at the top of the market right and and everything else went to go meet that top of the market right is that because that's that's how housing works. It's not. It's not a simple supply demand curve, right? And and so um, uh, that that's also something that we see a lot is a lot of displacement and, and a lot of resentment uh, due to that displacement. Uh, and that that's that's a big part of the, the the city authentic. There's a lot of the challenges that the city authentic uh, poses. And,
1: and for the for the name of uh, branding and to develop uh, a reputation
0: yeah yeah and 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 there's been like some really interesting um efforts at at city branding uh that we haven't really gotten into you know like one of them is just like picking a city flag you know like that that one is really interesting to me because um it mapped really well onto what i was just describing about um uh, uh about a resentment and and displacement is that um you know uh, it, uh, um i don't know if anyone anyone listening has also listened to 99% invisible it's a podcast about design right and they and um the roman mars the the host also did this ted talk about city flag design and the, this was back in like 2014 i think or 15 and uh, and it sparked this like nationwide um effort to redo um, municipal city flags because the the whole point of the show is that they're ugly right and um and that and that uh the few cities that do have nice um city flags like really use them a lot and he he posited that that it's a nice flag does a bunch of other good things for cities because it's like a something to rally behind and 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 he doesn't quite say this but but a lot of people who follow him do is that like this is a brand right this is a logo for your city for the brand of your city and, um, and, and in and in all these different places where they do that, where they tried to change the flag after, um, this 99% invisible episode, the, the, um, success rate was about 50%. And the, uh, and the ones that failed, uh, to, to get a new flag, um, it was pretty much always stopped, uh, because of either, um. Uh, People didn't feel that the change was going to be democratic, they couldn't afford a democratic decision, uh, because that's actually, you know, time consuming and expensive to to get everyone's opinion on what the new flag should be. Um, Or or just like outrage that that, you know, people would feel towards um, uh, uh, spending money or time or just effort on changing a flag when there are so many other problems in a city. Right. And there would be like, you know, like I, like I, I want to live here. I'm proud of this place, but I'm proud of it in all these ways that don't require a symbol to fly in front of my house. Right. And it, and it was, and it also didn't help that a lot of the people that would design flags would have this, you know, this is a sociology podcast, so I could say, you know, like Habitus, right? This distinct, this Berdusian distinction of like, of design, right? As like this very slick, modern kind of stuff. And so when they would, when these newcomers to these cities would produce these flags that follow good design etiquette, they, they're also kind of showing a, a, a distinction, um, for that of, connected to that sort of creative class strata and so it would just like cleave along these new residents old old guard kind of populations and, and 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 that argument would become a proxy war for for displacement in general and gentrification in general um, and that's why a lot of them failed uh, and and, 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 that's like a good, ex- that kind of encapsulates a lot of stuff about how the city authentic kind of what happens when it comes to town and, and how people react to it.
1: Excellent. Well, I really enjoyed reading, uh, reading this book and I'm going to keep it on the shelf for, for a while and, and bring it into the classroom when I'm able to. So thank you for writing this. Unfortunately, we are out of, out of time for today. Uh, however, there's one yearning question that I, that I have. What What are you working on now?
0: Oh man. Yeah. Uh, now, now I'm working on my syllabi. I, I gotta get, uh, you know, it's the summer and I, I, I gotta, I gotta get them ready for the fall. Um, but you know, uh, right, right now I, I, I am starting to think a lot about where people will glo- go um, during the climate crisis and how um small and medium sized cities, I, I think I'm going to stick for a long time on this, uh, like on smaller cities. A- and they, they, they seem to be um, at, at least preparing themselves or, or signaling that they want to become um, these rec- what are generally starting to be called like receiver communities of, uh, of, of migrants due to due to climate change. Um, and that is um, that interests me a lot. Uh, and the and, and other than that is um, focusing o- on uh, just uh, um, how to democratize all of these systems that um, you know manage local economies now. Like, just what are the you know how where does the rubber meet the road, and how do you get these places to care more about uh, people than profit?
1: Excellent. Well, thank you again, David, for um, being on the show today. This is uh, another episode of New Books in Sociology, channel on the New Books Network. And again, this episode is being done in partnership with the Community and Urban Sociology section of the American Sociological Association and its academic journal, City and Community. Thank you, David. Thank you.